Hello and welcome to another episode of Northwest by Podcast, where we talk about tech and business in the Northwest. Um, my name is John Clary, and on the show, as usual, we have Zach Giorgio. Say hi, Zach. Hi, guys. And today we have Richard on the show. Uh, hi, Richard. Afternoon, everybody. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for coming on. Do you want to tell us, tell us who you are first? So uh, my name is Richard Paynton. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Fornet. Um, if you want to explain it. Yeah, Fornet, yeah go on. Yeah. I think, yeah, go on. Give us, give us the, uh, what's it called now? Elevator pitch. Give Elevator. us one of those. So, I mean, in simple terms, uh, we provide communication technology and services to uh, our customers to allow them to communicate better with their customers and also within their stakeholders and, and staff teams. We predominantly do that with organisations that operate in critical environments. So lots of public sector, governments, blue light services, but then organisations like utilities and financial services that are heavily regulated and heavily reliant upon their, their communications infrastructures. Okay, so you're a pretty big player then. I mean, you've, you've mentioned sort of public sector. I don't think you can, you can fall into public sector just by chance. That's something that has a lot of red tape i'd imagine uh how how was that experience well we, we kind of we kind of fell into it to some extent so um we we go back i mean we started the business in 2005 but we'd been doing the same thing in other organizations for a, for a long time before that uh and public sector back then was something that a sector that i didn't be perfectly honest didn't particularly enjoy being in because i think back then it was a fairly bland environments the, the 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 answer to public sector issues was generally to, to put more people in there uh, and get more people doing things then so we, we built up the initial part of the business on working with organizations who were very it focused predominantly around call and contact centers uh mainly in the, in the private space um then what happened was post 2008 public sector budgets were were cut pretty heavily and we, we picked up one or two public sector customers just by chance through sales guys who had existing relationships and things and from, from referrals in and, and, and through our network. Um, but what we started to find was that after 2008, 2009, because of the budget cuts, public sector started to look at how they could use technology to leverage the lack of budgets and the fact that they couldn't just throw people at the problems. So they became very, more, very much more commercial orientated and, and very focused on on, on technology to, to achieve their goals. So that became a more interesting place for us. And as a business, we're, we're very technically focused. So where it gets complex or we get, where it gets difficult is where we, we tend to get involved with customers. And when they're trying to solve complex problems using technology to do that, then it started to become more appealing to us. And also we started to resonate more with, with those customers as well. So um, you know, I, I can make this sound really boring really quickly, <laughs> but, uh, but that's where it got, where, you know, we, where we, where we started to find our own niche with, with public sector organisations, that just accelerated. So we started working initially with local government and housing, and housing associations are, are quite commercially led and quite entrepreneurial because they've gone through acquisition and through mergers and such. Uh, so we, we, we found a, a niche for ourselves there, but that, that progressed. And then we, we started working more with, with central governments. We, we built some relationships in central government and, and had some great success there over the last four or five years. And then uh, similarly over with, with blue lights, ambulance services, police forces, we've, we've really progressed in that. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested because obviously there's so much I want to ask you about how times have changed in 2005 to where we are today, particularly in your industry of, of many because of the telecoms and what's happened and, and so on. But just going back to this public sector bit, 
you know, it's, it's well publicised something to do with 10 Downing Street. You got involved with 10 Downing Street. Is that right? Yeah, that, yeah. That so quite we, exciting. Tell us about that. I'm super excited about that one. So that was through a, a network connection, really, where some guys that, that I'd worked with in the past life and had done a lot of work in that central government space were finding themselves homeless, I suppose, in the fact that from, um, they, they'd previously worked for, I mean, I'll call it out, they used to work for Vodafone. But um, they, they were acquired by, by Vodafone as part of an acquisition. And then things at Vodafone weren't working out for them in one way or another. Um, so they, they found themselves homeless. But they've done some great work in central government and, and had, had all the relationships um, for us to get the initial introductions. So that's, that's what we did. Uh, we brought those guys in. They, um, they, they'd had a, had a great reputation in working in that space. And so therefore, we, we, we gave them their kind of head really to to explore that further and to come up with some ideas around uh, how they could improve services to government that they'd already had conversations with within some of the contacts in government, but their previous employers hadn't given them the space to, to explore those in more detail. So we did exactly that. We brought the guys on board, gave them a home, supported them really, and, and, and also not just support them, but uh, help work with them to build on some of the ideas they had. So we built out a, um, a private or community cloud platform for dedicated for government uh, and for government customers in very secure locations with, a, with a, a deeply better secure team of guys that could support that, that infrastructure and those technologies for them. And, and that's gone on from the initial work we did there for, for one or two departments. And we've now got tens of thousands of users across that, across that service and 20 odd government departments running it from uh, the likes of number 10 through to people like the Bank of England and HM Treasury and, and, a, and a bunch of other departments that we're not allowed to talk about. Amazing. So Amazing. I, I've got a question. I mean, it, it's obviously very interesting working, I would imagine, you know, the uh, public sector like that and central government, but there's, I've certainly got perceptions of what that must be like, what, you know, whether it be things are a bit slow or arcane or, but I guess what surprised you about working with, let's take central government as the example that you weren't expecting, you know, you, you maybe your perceptions were changed after you started working with them. Well, I think, um, you know, and that is the perception of, um, of a lot of people that we speak to. And, and you know, I explained to, a, to many people across the industry that what, um, what we do and, and often the feedback you get is oh, is it is it really you know is it really price sensitive is it all about lowest price is it is it really quite a dull environment um because that's the perception that people have of of uh, public sector but i think public sector has changed i think there's a lot of talented people in public sector looking to change the ways that people are working and the way they communicate with with their customer base you know citizens and, and such so what i think what's did surprise me was the was the open-mindedness of, of some of the people we we came across. You still get that. There are people that just don't want to change. Uh, and sometimes politics gets in the way of, of some of that change. But I think there are a lot there are a lot of people who are very keen to uh, to transform the way that people are working in public sector as a whole and are very much interested in how technology can help them do that. So we found that we found that an awful lot lot of people who are very open-minded and are really keen to be innovative in, in what they do. So the company itself, um, Richard, you know, you've got offices in Manchester, Burton-on-Trent and, and London. Is, is that right? Yeah, we've also got a, a small office in Gravesend that we, we acquired through an acquisition about 18 months ago as well. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, as, as a business, we, 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 you know, we started off in Manchester. That's where, where the four founders were and that's, that's where we were located. But 
uh, we've always operated on a on a national basis. You know, we go where where customers want us to do work, and and so we've we've taken the same approach from a staffing perspective as well. And the, you know, the, the team that we've built has been very much about bringing on the right people with the right skills rather than where they live. So we've probably got fifty percent of the business is is based out of in and around Manchester, uh, but then there's a, there's, a, there's a big team in London, a decent-sized team in the Midlands, and, and probably 20 25%, even before COVID, 20 25% of our team were uh, were home workers and, and based remotely anyway. Right. Okay. So so for you, it's it's been not a big change because of the pandemic and stuff like that. It's been pretty much quite easy for you to do. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, it's a, the, the technology that allows, you know, all the Zoom and, and Teams and all these things that allow people to work from home, We've been trying to promote that technology and the benefits of that technology for for years, to be to be honest, and pushing largely uphill in that in those conversations with people. And I have joked that COVID did in three weeks what we've been trying to do for fifteen years. Um, but it just and everybody obviously just clearly went to work from home. And I think the, the challenges for us weren't really the technology. The challenges were, were probably the, the same as those experienced by by a lot of people in the fact that there's no rule book and no textbook around how to manage your entire workforce working remotely from home. Um, so, you know, how do you keep people strong and their their mental health in, in good condition? Uh, how do you collaborate between your teams? How do you make sure communication works across, not the, the technology of the communication, but how do how the teams operate in a, in a remote environment? Yeah. And I think it's quite interesting that because, you know, we talked about it on the show quite a lot. I think we actually have shown as uh, human beings how resilient we actually are and how we can adapt so quickly and, you know, how, how we can sort of get there. I think people obviously have suffered uh, from a mental health perspective in lots of different ways. But actually, from business itself, we have been able to adapt really, really quickly and just sort of make our way. And, you know, John and I have spoken to a number of people and these things that people miss, they miss the camaraderie in the office, people going out for beers and all that type of stuff and so on. But actually, from a pure business perspective, we've, we've been able to adapt very, very well and shown our resilience to just crack on with it, really. And yeah. actually, there's been a number of things which, you know, for a um, from somebody who, who never really worked from home and was always in the office and, you know, was very conscious from doing it, actually... It has worked really, really well because every single client that we speak to that we just pick up the phone and have a conversation with if we couldn't go and meet them on site, now we're having a face-to-face meeting with them over a platform. You know, how fantastic is that? And you can learn so much more from just being able to look at somebody rather than just being over the phone, just purely entirely. But, um, John, did you want to jump in on that? I did. The well, point? actually, I want to come at something else because you've been at the business a long, long time. I imagine it's changed a lot. But can you tell us a bit about those early startup days. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear some stories, uh, ideally of trouble and strife and problems and everything going to the wall, but it doesn't have to be. Can I add to that actually? Because you've stolen my thunder there, John. I'm sat here like this at the moment because I was waiting for that myself, but I just wanted to just add to that, Richard. Um, my wife thinks I'm boring because I've been watching the Blair and Brown years and I've been watching the Bush and the 9-11 things that happened and one thing that I noticed a lot about that was how far back technology was in 2001 and if anybody watched the the George Bush episode where he was on Air Force One when 9-11 happened and the fact that Air Force One had to land to get any communication because they were almost completely in the dark 
Yeah. You know, for me, I wanted to ask exactly the same question. I've done. How much has it changed? I mean, is it just stratospheric? I think so. I think um, if you look at what we did when we, when we back in 2005, when we set the business up, and I mean, we thought there was a lot of change going on then, to be honest. You always, you always do in, in, in tech, and, and, and there is change going on, but it's, it's all degrees of change. Uh, we'd gone from the real kind of growth at that point in time was going from traditional kind of digital, what we call TDM comms in the tele- telecoms world, where you had, your phone system was a big fridge-like thing in the corner of the corner of the room with lots of cards in it, moving towards voice over IP technology. So it was running on your computer network. But that was really a, a, a transfer of the technology that did the same thing. So it was, there was the underlying technology was very different, but actually the, the experience for the users were pretty much the same. We just delivered the same thing, but just by a different mechanism. Um, it, saved, it made things cheaper because it was using the same network as your computer network. But apart from that, largely the, the user experience was, was, was unchanged. So, and I think that was largely the same uh, for a number of years. We started, we've gone through various phases of trying to implement things like video conferencing. So we built our own video conferencing platform a cloud platform, probably going back maybe 10 years ago now. And it was great. It was, it was it could do very much what we're doing now, Zoom-type calls um, and, and conferences. And we, we implemented that internally. We'd show it to customers and customers would say, oh, this is fantastic. But then you say, okay, well, actually, it's going to cost you this. And they go, okay, yeah, it's not really, it's a bit of a nice to have, really. Um, so trying to implement some of these technologies that, that we're now just using as standard, it's, it's, it sometimes takes something like the pandemic and the lockdown to to make this happen. But um, I think that user experience hadn't really changed massively from 2005 to through to you know 2018, 2019. Uh, there was small nuances of changes, but nothing, nothing, nothing massive. Where we had seen bigger change was in our contact center customers. So the way that um, our customers who run call and contact centers. Uh, whether that's in public sector or financial services or whatever, they, the biggest change was in that space. Back in 2005, it was tr- predominantly traditional call centres. If you had a problem, you'd phone up and you'd sit there waiting to get answered. But what's, what we've seen over the last 10 years, really, is, is consumers and, and people change the way that, that um, organisations have had to behave within their communications with their customers. So because people want to use social media now, they want to use web chat, they want to email in, they want to they don't necessarily want to sit there waiting on a phone for 20 minutes before they speak to somebody. They just want to do it there and then. So um, whilst our customers often with, with these critical communications are quite reluctant to change if they can if they can help it because actually they don't want to risk anything going down or breaking, consumers have really driven those call center changes uh, over the last 10 years. What was the, but what was the business like? I mean, that's what I, I'd like to know more about your bootstrapping days and, you know how you started and, and what those founding members were like. I presume that's that is that when the business started two thousand five. It is, yeah. So, so um, there was four of us start, started the business. We'd all worked together previously, so um, we and we'd gone our separate ways for a couple of years to some extent. Uh, a couple of us stayed working together, uh, but we'd all worked together, gone off in separate places. Naturally, some of the some of the guys uh, have known each other way longer than out of those four of us. The, the other three had known each other way longer than I'd known them, and couple of them been at school together at the same time and things like that. So we knew each other pretty well by the time 2005 came along. And the 
the company I was working for went through a, a fairly turbulent uh, piece of M&A activity, um, which resulted in, in, in my, uh, I was running the Northern Sales operation at the time, and the, the all, all the existing board either got fired or left. So I was left with nobody to report to for six months. So that was really the catalyst for, for, for doing what we talked about for a long time, because we'd always, um, the four of us had always run and managed uh, Northern Outposts, predominantly of Southern-based companies. So whilst I did my early years in working in London, I moved to Manchester in the, in the mid-90s, uh, and we were, we were doing, just running Northern Outposts of Southern companies. So as you do, you sit there in the, in the pub and go, you know, we could do this ourselves, because we're, we're doing it ourselves anyway. It's just that we work for somebody else. So you, you, same as many, many people, you have these conversations, and, and then all of a sudden there was an opportunity, there was a catalyst, and the fact that um, this, there was this turbulent piece of M&A went on, and we said, okay, well, let's, let's do it. So it was... It was it's the same as anything. It was pretty pretty tough in the early days, and the fact that your key priorities around are around getting some sales in. You, you know, I speak to people now that are setting up businesses and they've got a great idea, uh, and I say to them, "You need to make sure you can sell it because without customers, you've not got a business. You might have a great idea, but you need somebody to pay the bills." So we we started providing this very similar services to what we'd done previously. We were quite technically led out the four of us. There was two of us who were from a commercial sales and management background and two of us who were from a technical background. So we had a good mix. Uh, we brought on a couple of additional people straight away and we we spoke to the customers that we knew, to be perfectly honest, the same as you do, and, and they trusted us. So we brought some of those on, but also we provided some services back to what, what are now our competitors because we had some fairly unique uh, skills. So that was good for, for cash generation, if, if nothing else and allowed us to continue to build our technical team. And as you build your technical team, you, you grow in credibility. But, you know, it's, it's pretty much month to month in those early days. There's a few scary months. But at the same time, you're having fun because you're doing something that's exciting. And, you know, as, as a small business, you're, you're CFO one day, you're CMO another day, you're selling the next day, and another day you're clearing the office out, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, we had, we had occasions where we'd have a, a customer come into our office and I'd go and round up people from the other offices in the building to come and sit in our office to make it look like we had more people than we had and, you know, and, and these kinds of things. Um, it's a fairly, kind of, you know, it's a pretty well-trod entrepreneurial path whereby you go and win an order and then work out how you're going to deliver it. You do know how to deliver it, but you might not have the resource or the capability to go and deliver it. So then you get the order and then it's a good problem to have. So if you look at our, our growth, um, and we've, we've grown every year. Our probably our compound annual growth over thirty percent for the last sixteen years. But it doesn't. It's not. Doesn't follow a nice smooth trajectory. It's a, you know, it's a big step, then a plattering off for a while, then a big step as you get another big order. Especially in the early days, we were winning orders that were doubling our turnover. So it's about building credibility with customers and then working out, you know, running running quickly to work out how you're going to go and deliver it. And you know, and, and if it doesn't go. We've never been scared to try things. So innovation, solving customer problems is really sits in our DNA. And sometimes you have to, to do that. You have to do things that you've not done before. And also nobody else has done before. But I think the key thing is, that to, is to plan it as quickly as you can. But if it doesn't quite work well, you fix it really quickly. And, and I think customers appreciate that. So, you know, we've got a track record of doing that as well. Um, it sometimes, you know, creates sleepless nights, especially in the early days. But, but at the same time, it's, 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 it's a good journey to go on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, what you've just said there for me massively resonates, you know, that, that sort of 
first 12 months when you're thinking to yourself, can you keep the lights on? You know, you're working your socks off, you know, you're leveraging your network, your network supporting you initially, isn't it? However, then you're starting to scale, you're starting to grow. Then all of a sudden you need to build a new client base up because your network's just not enough, but your network's supporting you on doing that and so on. And, you know, it, it, so it brings back a lot of memories for me. I, I, I remember specifically those first six months thinking to myself, if we don't start, I self-funded it as well. Uh, self-funded myself and family for the first 12 months and I was like you know if it doesn't start turning around I don't know how long I can keep doing it for but you do you know and I think you have that resilience and I think you know what's quite interesting you know you make the note of and, and it is quite funny because you're not a CMO and you're not a CFO and you're not a salesperson you're not all of these things you're actually probably good at one or two of them but you have to become good at all of them or at least get through it because otherwise you can't and then you look back and you think wow i employ x amount of people now you know actually that's quite a journey but the thing is about entrepreneurs and and one of the biggest things that i've felt is you still never think you're quite there (laughs) and you're still striving for more and you're still wanting to take it to that that's next level and that sort of I suppose to a degree brings me on to the, the next question that I wanted to ask you was do you feel like sometimes I ask myself this question I ask it quite a lot was that the biggest challenge at the start or is the bigger challenge when you get a bit bigger and you then start to try different things and you try to go down different avenues and, and all of a sudden you mentioned the sleepless night well, when you first start, the sleepless nights are, oh my God, I've got to go and work for somebody. <laughs> Whereas actually, when you've been going for several years, your sleepless nights become on how am I going to deliver this or how am I going to you know, keep making money to employ more people? Do you know what I mean? There's so many different things. Um, I don't think there's, there's one thing that's easier or more difficult as you, as you get bigger. I think you know, we, we were fortunate that when we set the business up, there was four of us and we had a good mix of skills and we, and we spread some of those responsibilities and some of those challenges across us. So, so that was good, but, um, but you're still wearing multiple hats. And to be honest, sometimes you, you get a bit of luck as well. Um, yeah. You no, know, sometimes you get bad luck, but you do get some good luck as well. And once, once or twice, you know, a stroke of good luck bailed us out where we've had to look at different opportunities or look at different ways of working something out. So, uh, you know, people say you make your own, your own luck. I'm not sure that's always the case. There's sometimes, you know, fortune kind of just shines on you on, on occasion. It doesn't happen all the time, but we, we got bailed out once or twice just by something that, that came in that we weren't expecting. So that was good. But I think, you know, in those, you say, in those early days, Zach, it's, you were... You think about how you're going to pay the how you're going to pay the wages and all those kinds of things. Um, as you grow, the challenges have become different. And you know, I stopped looking at the salary, monthly salaries, after a while because that, you know when, when you get bigger and bigger, that's from starting from with nothing and building it. It gets scary when you start looking and you've got you know x x million going out each month, and you think, planning we've got to we've got to do that every month." So um, yeah, I, I kind of. A big thing was bringing somebody in that could look after that and worry about that thing for me and just report on on any challenges we had. But I think um, once you've kind of got a stable business and you took turning over, you know, for us it was a point where we were turning over a couple of million, which was that piece that you mentioned before. You know, we've exhausted our network, we'll bring on some new custom, some additional new customers, but we've got a stable business at that point. But you want to start wanting to take take it to the next level, but you've exhausted your own network and. You know, and we see a lot of, and I see a lot of guys who run really good businesses, 
but stay at that size because the, the reach a specific ceiling. And the, the, the next big challenge for us then was bringing in the people that could help us move on because it's not all about me or the, or the, the four of us that set the business up. It becomes about the business rather than you. And we're a services business, so it's about people. So it's getting in the right people that can help you grow to the next level. And when you're turning over a couple of million quid, what you're, actually, what you're after is some really talented people that can can help you grow and they're working for the large players in your industry attracting those people in is, is challenging so so that was the next challenge for us at that point and we had an aspiration i think it's about 2008 2009 it was to to be the business that we that our competitor staff wanted to work for and that was a that was an aspiration we have and we still have that now but it's a different problem we have now because actually we get them knocking on our door every month which is a, a different problem because we've got good people coming to us that we don't always have room for well, that's that's a much better problem to have than actually you can't you can't get them on board because they look at us and go, well you're only, you're only doing you're only small you're only doing two million why why should I come and work for you I'm 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 a I'm a big noise in this this organisation over here, so for us it was about building reputation for being really good at what we did and uh, for about winning customers, uh, looking after customers and being a good place to for people to work as well so. You know, we've got a few things that, that within the DNA of our business, really customer focused, because actually, you know, we're a services business without customers with no business. So everything we do has to have a customer in the mind of it. But also, it's about the, it's about the people. And you know, I know that's a cliche to say that, but it really is. We, make, we try and make sure that we, we bring people in and that people enjoy what they're doing and, that, and they enjoy working for us. You need to be happy and, and, and enjoy working here. Uh, you spend more time at work, uh, your waking time at work, than you do doing anything else. If you're not enjoying it, then go and do something else. I, I was just going to ask, what what do you think the, the key is to making somewhere a good place to work? In your industry, it's, you know, there are obviously the, the other players and you said there you 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 wanted to make it the place where your competitors' workforce came and knocked on the door, and that's happening. How have you done? How have you done that? I think um, building a, a good reputation. So everybody wants to work somewhere that does a good job. So building a reputation as a, as a business that does a good job for our customers. Inherently, people want to be proud of the job they do and, what, and where they work. So trying to create that reputation where we keep customers for a long time, we look after customers and we do a good job for customers is first and foremost. I think then, um, and that kind of then resonates around the industry that, that Fournette are, are, are really good at what they do and you know, someone to watch out for. I think at the same time, we have a massive focus on internally on the team. We, we support each other. And I think, you know, again, it's a cliche, people say, it, but I think that, that the way we do that isn't necessarily unique, but I don't think it's common. People get involved in winning customers, winning bids, winning winning uh, proposals. There's a huge amount of effort goes into that from the sales team that are running it, but also throughout the business, uh, project delivery guys, support guys, me, finance. Everybody's involved in in when we win, but also when problems are occurring, everybody gets involved as well. So we support each other on that basis. And I think that's not necessarily from what people tell me their previous experiences. That's not always the case. And I think at the same time we don't. We take what we do really seriously for our customers, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. So if anybody gets overly cocky, then we just relentlessly take the mickey out of them until it brings them back down to earth. Uh, and that goes that goes across. That you know that's down, down. People do that to me. People do that to people, new starters. It's just it's just the way we are. And we make sure that you know we run clearly. We've got structure within the business, and there's a 
but it's not a hierarchical structure. It's it's a structure that allows us to to operate efficiently and effectively, but not not for anybody to view themselves as, as, as being in a position of superiority. That's not what we're about. We're, we work as a team. I think people feel that that's the case and that they feel supported and and we have a bit of banter in the office and you know we've gone through you now you go back to what we're talking about in 2005 uh friday afternoon we, we used to play cricket in the office um we had a long office and it was fairly it wasn't it wasn't that many people in it at the time so so that's what we do on friday afternoons unless the phone rang um we spent our sales director once spent a, a week um researching the best beer fridge to have in the, in the office you know it's, it's that kind of stuff that uh, makes it makes it a bit more interesting and, and it's, you know we're all we're all humans and we all want to well, we enjoy what we're doing. And it's, as I say, it's about being really serious and, and delivering for customers, but at the same time, you need to have a laugh. It's quite a lot of stuff, but um, I think John's got a question, but I think I, I, I do a little sum up at the end because there's a lot of stuff that you've said in there that resonated for me. And uh, there's one particular point that I, I think is worth bringing up. But John, do you, have you yeah. got another question that you want to fire across to Richard? Yeah, yeah. One last question, Richard. I mean, love that story. Love how you don't take yourselves too seriously, and the importance you put on everyone mucking in and a beer fridge to me is sort of like, yeah, that's like that's the place I'd like to work because no, no, none of our customers are going to hear this podcast, right? No. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> oh, I don't even my wife hears this. So hi, Sal. Hi, Phyllis. Now, um, so so absolutely love that. Love the kind of the spirit and. It's, I don't know, it's pretty exciting that you've managed to keep that spirit going all the way through. So my question for you then is, you know, you're a successful entrepreneur and start of a business. Lots of people still, uh, you know, listen to this podcast in the business and tech world. Any advice you give to someone starting now to, you know, what character traits or, or what's the one thing that you would you'd pass on to them? Um, I mean, you know, I can always obviously speak from from personal experience. I'm, I'm I'm not trying to position myself as some kind of guru, but I think um, the things that have got us through difficult times. I mean, resilience and tenacity. Uh, I think that's what you also learn that it is a roller coaster. And actually, when you when you're having a, a difficult time of it, provided you keep doing the things that that you've always done and they've always worked, uh, and just trying to solve those problems, you, you will come out of it. And sometimes I've gone into meetings with accountants, or I've meet had meetings with with customers where the proverbial is really hitting the fan. But I think if you're honest with those those people uh, and you work your way out of it, you know it, it comes back round. And we've had some really difficult conversations at the time, and but keep grafting at it, and it and it comes round. Um, so I think. You know, tenacity and, and graft is, you know, can't go wrong with those two things. I think the other thing as well is that if you are setting up and, and launching a business and running a business, it takes a certain amount of confidence to be able to do that. But I think you, but not ego. I think you've got to park your ego to one side because, um, to, to especially to scale a business. Again, I know of a lot of people who've set businesses up that have issues with, with, to be frank, paying people more than they get paid. You've got to park that, otherwise you can't scale your business. Because if you want to, if you want to attract people from their current successful roles, and you, you want people who are successful, then you're probably going to have to pay them quite a lot of money. And, and, and certainly in the in the early days and, and, and startup, you, you're going to have to pay them more than you're getting paid. And I think that's a challenge for some people. And I think parking that ego to allow that to happen is is really important because I see people stalling on that. And likewise. If you, especially if you're in a partnership, which which I was and still am, uh, you've got to park that ego. So because that can you can see that fall apart, and it's a bit like a marriage. If you, if you don't stop communicating and stop trusting each other, then then that falls apart. So I think that's that's certainly what what we did. 
Yeah, I something somebody once said to me, you can tell a lot about a person's character, how they behave when their back's against the wall. And I think when you're saying about the grit and tenacity and having to go through hard times, that definitely resonated. Zach, I think you wanted to sum up. Yeah, yeah. No, I just I, I find it really, really interesting if I'm dead honest with you. So many things resonated with the conversation. It was quite interesting. You know, today our podcast, I felt, was we talked a bit about the tech and stuff like that. It was quite interesting taking it from the growth pains and how things have changed and stuff like that. And I think one of the things that we our, our core values are humility, respect, commitment and teamwork. You know, that humility piece is so important as you grow in that business. It's, you know, um, I read The Barcelona Way by Pep Guardiola. And, you know, it was a fascinating book to read. Denisa is smiling, by the way, because she will have heard me bang on about it all the time. But that (laughs) humility piece is so important. But sort of summing up um, everything that you've said today, which resonates a lot with me in relation to just all the different things that you have to do when you run your business, when you grow in your business. And, And that is that I think sometimes people see the tip of the iceberg and they think, check them out, oh, he's doing all right for himself, blah, blah, blah. What they don't see is what's gone on underneath it and how long it's took you for what somebody can potentially see at the top because it is just so big before they see the tip. What they don't see is everything else that just goes on and on and on. And it keeps you awake at night and it you, keeps you on your toes and it takes you to where you want to get to. But, you know, everything that you've said today... I've sat there, and, and I, I know this is like a podcast, so it's not going to be a video that you can share, but you know, I've been sat there like that, ah, just nodding my head continuously because I completely get all of the points that you have to do as you grow in your business. It's amazing. You get some success, and, and um, you, you, know, you win awards or whatever it happens, or you just you start to grow your, your, your presence, and people go, oh, who are, who are these guys? And oh, I've not heard you before. Yeah, we need you. So yeah, we're, we're we're an overnight success, fifteen years in the making, and you know it's and that's as you say, it's just people just see the tip of that iceberg and not everything that's gone on before. Uh, and I think it's a common thing. I, I sometimes do the same thing myself. To be honest, you look at we see somebody all of a sudden doing doing something that's quite high profile. So you, so you have a look at that business, go oh, not heard of them. You go dig around, you look at their accounts, and they've been there for years. Um, but it's, you know, the, there are very few overnight successes. And the irony of it is, that, you know when it's in you and it's inbuilt in you, the tip of the iceberg, you still don't think you've got there. No. You no. know, you're just constantly wanting to drive it and, and get more and stuff like that. But, it's a fear of failure. You still think that it's all going to go disappear. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, still, I still think I can score three goals when I play football, but I can't even run properly anymore. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that's, the, that's the brain for you. But just one other note before we finish off, um, I just wanted to say, you mentioned about Sally not listening to your podcast. However, let me tell you something. My five-year-old and seven-year-old heard the other day when I was listening to one of our podcasts, she went, oh, Daddy, is that you on the radio? And I went, yeah, I host my own podcast. You should have seen her. She was like, Daddy hosts his own podcast. <laughs> See? So, tip of the iceberg. What more can I say? Yeah. Great hit with five-year-olds. That's, that's good. That's good. It's about the level of our, our audience, to be honest, so that's, that's fine. I'm surprised you didn't say, why do you do your own podcast? And why do you not do this? And what does that mean? So yeah, I must admit, I'm not great at self-promoting. Someone brought it out at a company dinner I was at, and they were sort of showing to each other. And I'm like all cringing over in the corner. So uh, no one likes to hear the sound of their own voice. Um, 
Richard, thank you very much uh, for coming on today and talking to us and telling us about your story and the story of Fournette. It was absolutely fascinating. No, it's, it's a pleasure. Hopefully I've not waffled on too much for the last 40 minutes. No, it's been brilliant. Golden, uh, some evergreen uh, advice and comments as well. So I absolutely love that. Thank you, Zach, as well. And uh, Denise as well, forever sitting there in the background and doing all the hard work and all the legwork. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, please do so via the website now. We are on northwestify.co.uk. And there is a form on there you can fill in, ask questions, suggest a guest. Uh, you can either be yourself or someone else. Thank you very much.